Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. I'm going to start with a tiny bit of, I guess, catch-up or check-in, if you will. I gave you all kind of a difficult homework assignment last week, and I, if nothing else, I want to tell you how I got through it. Oh, no, that's not the right way to talk about it, is it? <laughs> so <laughs> that's my experience. <laughs> so the homework assignment, if you, if you remember, was to determine whether we're activating or deactivating the divine law of compensation. Now, if you'll remember, let me repeat the law uh, real quickly here. To whatever extent your mind is aligned with love, you will receive divine compensation for any lack in your material existence. From spiritual substance will come material manifestation. So the idea is if we concentrate on what is new and good and beautiful and positive and and lovely and powerful and, and those kinds of things in our mind, we're activating this law of divine compensation. And if instead we're, you know, kvetching and complaining and finding fault and noticing the lack and, and those kinds of things, we're deactivating it. We're doing the opposite. So my homework assignment was, you know, check it out. So I had a little spiral notebook and was making notes through the week. And well, the best way I can just describe my experience, uh, Reverend Lynn and I were comparing notes about some of our friends' driving techniques. And, and <laughs> as, it, as it happens, we both have one, uh, well, it's not even the same person, but we both have friends that we don't actually like to ride as passengers with <laughs> because I don't know how to describe it any better than to say there's only two speeds, like the speed limit and stop. <laughs> so, so, so it's like you take off like a rocket and you're going along just fine and suddenly it's like... And then, you know, oh, over there! <laughs> and then you, then you take off like a rocket and... Vroom. Well... <laughs> That was kind of my week doing this homework. Some, some, I mean, there was one whole day when I just felt like I was on the effortless freeway. You know on the freeway when you're kind of in the middle lane? You're not worrying about passing other people. You're not in a hurry to get anywhere in, in this fast lane. And likewise, you know, you're watching the trucks just go by on the other side because, you know, you're on a mission. You're in the groove. The traveling's fine. And there were so many moments like that. And then suddenly it was like, wham, and I noticed myself, where does this judgment come from? Where, where does this idea of lack or pain come from? You know, I, I was noticing the newspapers are all full, uh, again, of our story on Ebola because someone here in the United States has now uh, caught it. And, and I noticed my mind just reeling around that. It's like, what does that have to do with me, right? And yet it put the brake, it absolutely put the brakes on my thoughts of, of love and forward motion, of, of joy and peace. And so that was my experience with the homework this week, that even though there were periods of, of uh, really bliss in a way, of really being in the moment and enjoying myself and really activating the law of divine compensation, there were also many, many, many more than I care to admit. <laughs> Moments when the brakes were on full swaddle, uh, f uh, the brakes were, were pressed uh, to, to the metal, and, and I really had the essence of, 
uh, of fear or, or trouble or whatever. Well, Marianne Williamson, in the Divine Law of Compensation, says wisely that you cannot have both ways. You, you can't both have your heart open to experience the goodness and the love and the joy, and at the same time, have your heart closed, feel, feeling those feelings of misery or despair or, or pain or suffering or whatever. You really, you really can't do both. And the more I thought of it, that's the feeling I was getting, the zooming forward and then putting the brakes on. That was my heart, in a sense, Right? Opening up to, to just enjoy life and then all of a sudden, oh, but wait, what about this newspaper story? What about this, uh, this thing that's going on in my friend's life that, um, th that really is painful to observe? And so today I want to talk about how can we begin really living from that place of love. Marianne Williamson calls it um, having love as the bottom line. And I'll start today uh, by reading from her book. To want love or to believe in the power of love, all of that is wonderful. But where the rubber meets the spiritual road is at the place where we decide whether or not to act on love. One place where putting love first is not always easy is in the area of money and abundance. This isn't because the issue is any more complicated than any other area of life. It's just the entrenched thinking of the world that it is profit rather than love, which is the bottom line. In a world that is dominated by scarcity, the thought of profit makes sense. In a world where scarcity doesn't even exist, it makes no sense at all. And so I want to talk literally about love in the workplace. And I'm going to start with a story. And I was trying to think how best to introduce this story. And I guess I should introduce the main character. So her name is Hilda. And I was trying to figure out what relationship she is to me. So she is my ex-partner's brother's mother-in-law. Okay? <laughs> I don't know if I can say it again. <laughs> but, but what you might basically say is, well, she's no relationship to you at all, Larry. But, but I had the very good pleasure over about a 10-year period to see her at all the holidays. You, you know how kind of holiday relatives are, right? You see them at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, you know, and, and what I noticed when I first met Hilda was I felt like I was being enveloped in a warm blanket. Have you ever known someone that just to be in their presence you felt safe, you felt secure? Uh, I remember actually the first time I met her, she kind of shoved me into a chair, sat down next to me, and wanted to know everything about me. And, and she was doing it in such a disarming way, right? Not, not quizzing me for some you know, nefarious purpose, but she was honestly interested in this new person. And, I, and what I noticed from year to year as I would meet her at different holidays, she knew exactly where we left off from last time. She would say things like, well, what happened to that, you know, that client you were working with? And I'd be like, wait a minute, what? what? <laughs> but she would remember, right? And, uh, and she would remember all kinds of details about our home. And you know, even though she'd only been there a couple times when, when we had the holiday rotation, right? And Thanksgiving was at our house. And, and she just, what I recognized from her as a person was she had that, both that energy of life and that willingness to treat other human beings as though they were absolutely special on every level. 
okay, so that's the basis of it. I have to say that Hilda's life had a hiccup, a hiccup that for most people would send them reeling. After, I think it was 37 years of marriage, her husband was gone, her house was gone, she raised seven children and had no job skills whatsoever because she never worked. She suddenly at age 60 was entering the workforce with no skills in a strange city and with English as a second language. Now, if any of you are in big company HR departments, you could probably tell me what her chances of getting a job were, right? Statistically, her chances of getting a job probably approached zero, probably. Now, her son-in-law did a very sweet thing. They were, they were hiring at the company that he worked for. They sell sewing notions. I didn't even know what a sewing notion was, but, but in case you're curious, it's like the buttons and bows and rickrack and like thousands of little things that if you ever go into a fabric store, you know, there's a whole department. Well, anyway, this place manufactured some of them and was a huge warehouse for some of them. And there were some openings on the loading dock. Now, Hilda was about five foot one and weighed about 100 pounds, and the thought of her zipping around in a forklift, it... <laughs> oh, did I mention she didn't know how to drive either? <laughs> I missed that part. She also didn't know how to drive. And I thought to myself, what are you doing? Why are you taking this woman in there? And her son-in-law had the idea, well, at least it would be an experience in applying for a job. And if she goes in, you know, with a positive attitude, this would be good information for her. She'll learn how to fill out an application. She'll learn how to, you know, do an interview that it would, could be actually a very positive learning experiences. So she went in and they hired her. <laughs> And I was asking her that Thanksgiving. I said, Hilda, hey, you are so brave just to go through this process. And they hired you. How's the loading dock going? You know, and I'm, I'm waiting for, you know, some scary forklift story or something, you know. And she said, oh, well, they hired me into the office. She said they didn't really have a job there, uh, but the man could see that I would really make a difference, and he hired me. And I said, really, what was this interview like? And she said, well, I just went in and I told him that I was absolutely no good on the, their loading dock, but that I had the skills necessary to make a profound difference in this company. She said that I told him that I had raised seven children completely successfully, that I had kept a house up for 25 years in pristine condition, that I had been on numerous uh, uh, nonprofit boards, that I had been to more PTA meetings and presided over the PTA for a number of years, that I had skills that could make a powerful difference in this place. And so he hired me to work in the office. This, I think, is a testimony to love. This is what love can do. This, when the bottom line is love, also applies to our business affairs. And if you think of it a little bit, if you think of it, are we so uh, focused on business skills that we have missed the balance of that 
with human skills. See, I think we are. Now, from a resume standpoint, no one on this planet should have hired Hilda. It's like the experience section would have said zero, right? No business experience, right? This section under uh, training for the job, zero, right? For, from a credential standpoint, this woman had nothing to offer them. So I, I checked in not too long ago, and five years later, um, she's 65 now, but has no intention of retiring. She is one of their most valuable employees. And so I asked her, well, so how did that go? How did you go from sort of worried about how am I even going to fit in to be a valuable employee? She said, well, one of the first things I did was I took home the part manual. She said it has a thousand pages and there are uh, at least 10 to 12 different notions on each page. And I memorized it. She said, I am the only one in this company that actually knows all of what we sell. <laughs> she said, I made a point of going in a half an hour early for the first six months that I worked there. She said, do you know what I did in that half hour? I asked people how I could help them. And I listened to the things that were going really well and I listened to the things that needed to Im be improved upon, and we made some of those improvements. These weren't technical skills, right? This was the ability to listen to people. This was the ability to care about how a business is going. This is the de same dedication that she showed to raising her children. She was willing to, to direct that same force of love and caring and attention and energy into running a business. Of course she was one of the most valuable employees there. It was as though it were her own effort bring being brought forth into the world. So what are some of these skills that are not going to probably appear on a resume? Marianne Williams details them pretty good in this chapter. She says it's communicating and negotiating with love. She says it's listening, really listening and understanding other people. She says it's noticing what's important both to a business as well as the people who work there, as well as the customers and the, the buyers that participate in it. She says it is forgiveness, it is peacemaking, it is compassion. Now, I don't know how you put those on a resume. And if I was an HR director, I don't even know how I would select for those skills. But what I do know is if you have that person, you could train them to do anything. If you have that person, you are just you know, one training session away from having a perfectly valuable employee because the hands-on training, the, the effort required to learn the skills, that, that can be plugged into. Not so easily, right? Go take a class in forgiveness, right? So many of the skills that are under the hood, the skills that Marianne Williamson says are open through our, our heart area, those skills we have to work on in a different way. Marianne Williamson also says that there's another um, kind of a bad news to the story because she says we also have some skills already or at least some experience that deactivate the law of compensation. She says those are judgment, resentment, gossip, sarcasm, and pettiness, self-righteousness, that desire to always be right. 
And she says that if you are going to be experiencing those skills, it just makes the other ones evaporate away. Again, you, you, can't, you can't be the same thing when you're working off both sides of that page. And, and when you try to, you get that strange traffic motion, the, the zooming ahead, and then suddenly you can't move forward anymore because you're standing in a place of judgment or you're, you're, you're doing something that's going to stop that forward motion and that flow. What is it that we can do? You know, you know, I've given you a list of things, right? So, so there you are. We're all cured. <laughs> right? We know the answer now. We just have to not do those and do these. I, I was reading through this chapter, and, and I, of course I recommend the book. I think it's a good one. But I was trying to decide if I could only pick one thing out of it. What could help turn the tide in myself? If I was to follow only one piece of her advice for really learning how to become love, if you will, to, to open our heart in such a way that it stays open, that it, it tends to act as a positive force even when stuff does come up that, that is infuriating or crazy making, so that we could stay in that place of the open heart. And the thing that I came up with, she called the love test, and I want to share it with you today. What she says is that next time something comes up, especially things to be healed, so if you find yourself in an argument with someone you love, if you find yourself in some kind of a controversy where there are differences of opinion kind of pulling at you, if you find yourself embarking upon a, a new project, maybe something you haven't done before and you have a variety of options before you, she says to ask what love would do. And she says you will seldom go wrong with this. She said it, it may slow you down occasionally, but she also said that maybe the slowness is actually good. That maybe taking a little extra time to notice what the options in the real world are, maybe are better taken at a slow pace. But she says you will never, ever go wrong. You know, um, doing a sermon on the idea of becoming love is interesting, and I I was kind of laughing in a way because I get this idea when you say, oh, just become love, that somehow you're going to be, you know, someone that suddenly overnight wants to have screensavers with kittens on them, that, that it's, do you know, and, and, and especially as a guy, I, you know, I think of myself, well, so am I just going to be that, that loving, oozy kind of, you know, walk all over me because I'm in the moment and just sweet and loving all the time. And so therefore, you know, I lose my power and I lose my backbone and I lose the ability to be professional and all those things because, gosh darn it, I'm just love today. <laughs> and, uh, and I think she does a good job, Marianne Williams in this book, of dispelling that idea. Because you know what? Love sometimes can be tough love. Sometimes love is saying no. Sometimes love, when you're really fully committed to doing the right thing and representing love in the world, sometimes that makes you stand up extra tall and extra powerful to do whatever is necessary. So if you think that somehow I'm saying this is the easy path, that you can give up all your gumption and just, you know, you know, call yourself love and let people walk over you, that's not my idea at all. Quite the reverse. I think that love is what will empower us. Much as my friend Hilda 
was able to take a life that seemingly was on the brink of total disaster. She was love in the world, and it made her incredibly successful on any number of levels. A strong woman, a powerful woman, this is love. It's not kitten screensavers. Well, I mean, it could be if you like that, but, <laughs> but it is the, the power from the very bottom of you to know that you can be a force in the world that is the strongest force in this universe. The power of love working through you and as your agent is what creates all change. It is what creates all good things on this planet. Ultimately, it is life itself. I'm going to close today. Oh, and I suppose you've already figured out you have your homework, right? <laughs> it's the love test. So this week, if you're willing, ask yourself as you're embarking on your day, as you come up against a, a, a tough nut to crack or a, an argument in the, in the process of unfolding, or if you're having a, a tough time with a family member or someone at work, ask yourself, what would love do? What would love do? Marianne Williamson closes this part of the material in this way. She says, love makes me wake up in the morning with a sense of purpose, and power, and a flow of creative ideas. Love floods our nervous system with positive energy, making us far more attractive to prospective employers, clients, and creative partners. Love fills us with a powerful charisma, enabling us to produce new ideas and new projects, even when circumstances seem limited. Love leads us to atone for our errors and to clean up the mess when we've made mistakes. Love leads us to act with impeccability, with integrity and excellence. Love leads us to serve, to forgive, to always have hope. Those things are the opposite of poverty consciousness. They are the stuff that builds spiritual wealth. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one infinity of good. It is this thing that I call God. And what I know about God, it is the force of love. That simply another name for God is love. And so for myself on this day, I claim to be backed by and swimming in pervasive, pervasive love. That my life sees love indeed as the bottom line. I put profits aside. I put all of those other indexes of success aside. And I hold up the candle of love and say this, this is my bottom line. And so as I see through the eyes of love, as I do the love test in my own life, I begin enhancing that, that inner portion of my own self, my, my own personality, my own inner uh, connection to God itself, creating the riches from within that, of course, outpicture as riches as well in the world. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for, for each person within the hearing of my voice, that each person here and beyond recognizes in them love because you are love. 
And as we embrace this idea, as we recognize in each person that love perhaps truly can be the bottom line and that it is successful, it is fruitious, it is that, that sense of being in the right place, of doing the right thing, of, of showing up in compassion and grace, that true success is born. I'm simply grateful for this, grateful to be in the power Grateful to be in the presence of God as it takes the form of the people in this room and beyond. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you joined us today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.com. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.